Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. We're looking at a series at the moment called What to Sing at Christmas. And we're looking at the shepherds and the song that they're caught up in, in uh, kind of what we're looking from the story in Luke. And you know, I remember a friend, Ralph, who Ralph and Katie used to be part of Mosaic. He, um, he used to live on Cross Flat Street, so one of the back-to-back terraces. And he was telling me that early one morning, as he was in his bedroom, he was up early reading his Bible in the quiet of his room, he could hear this song coming through the wall, this faint sound of singing. And no music, just a cappella, voice only, singing. Ralph kind of went on to say that this song was a song he knew. In fact, it was a song that we would sing at church. It was a worship song. It turns out that Ralph, living on Crossflats Street, lived back to back with my friend Chris, who lived on Crossflats Parade. And Chris, in the morning, would be singing in his kind of time of praise as he did a quiet time. Literally, kind of headphones on, and his song would be carrying through the wall of what joined their house and they didn't know each other so they didn't know they lived back to back to each other but Ralph kept hearing this song through the wall each morning or different songs and last week we looked at Mary we looked at her song of praise as an angel appears to her and tells her that she will give birth to a son the son of God and this morning the shepherds that sing and or the, the shepherds that and the angels singing praise to God isn't they're not quiet songs that just make it through back-to-back thin walls in Beeston. They are songs that light up the night sky. They are songs that cast a vision of and share a message to the whole world. And the, the writer of this gospel account, a guy called Luke, he's writing these things down to investigate kind of what he's learned as he's kind of uh, gone and interviewed people, eyewitness accounts. And we've already been told in the story, just to recap the story, we've already been told that Mary has conceived a child, not in a natural way, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. She's pregnant. Her and her husband-to-be, Joseph, they make a trek. About 93 miles, they think, the path they'd have gone, from Nazareth, the place where Joseph and Mary lived, to Bethlehem, a place that where Joseph's family line started from. Because um, So they make this trek, and it's a bit like going from Leeds to Leicester. Imagining that there's a do- there's, you've got one donkey, you're going from Leeds to Leicester. It's, they're going to be shattered, aren't they? And you know Mary's clearly pretty much ready to pop and have her baby. But they don't have their baby in a hospital. It's not like they're going to Leicester General Infirmary. It's, they're, they're not even going to a nice home birth. They're not even going to a hotel room with comfort of, kind of an army of midwives. They're going to a town where there's no room where they're born basically in, uh, Jesus the baby is born in basically what would be a feeding trough for the animals. Kind of this is perhaps what it would look like. A manger. And as we pick up this story this week, we see a field full of sheep just outside Bethlehem and their shepherds looking after them. And these, sheep, these shepherds, they're just ordinary guys. They're doing their job of looking after the sheep. That's the role that's been entrusted to them. Shepherds generally weren't the brightest of the bunch, but they're courageous. King David, 
he was a shepherd and he fought off lions and bears in order to protect his sheep so that it wouldn't be harmed. And these shepherds working in the field, they were, they were Jewish fellows. They understood the, the Old Testament. They understood that um, Jesus, well, sorry, understood a Messiah would come to kind of, he was the promised Messiah. Messiah would, would be a ruler and he would rescue the nation of Israel. They would have, though, been a bit confused because God had been silent for some 400 years. That he hadn't spoken through the prophets that he would speak through. The last time that he spoke was through Malachi. I think they'd have been lying, picture it, at night in the fields, night after night, looking up at the skies. I think these shepherds would be longing for a greater purpose. They'd have been wondering, is there more to life than this? As they saw the stars in the sky night after night. And the more they looked up into the sky, the more they wondered, they longed for the, the apparent silence and mute God who made the stars. They longed for him to speak into their world, into their lives. They longed for their lives to mean something. They longed for their creator to speak to them. Well, that starlit night, things were about to change. They were about to have an encounter that would change their lives forever. I'm reading from verse 8 in Luke 2. I'm going to read five verses. And there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a a saviour has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Has anyone got a dog or a small child who doesn't quite understand English yet? You're playing a game with a dog or with a child who doesn't quite understand English yet. And you have a ball and you throw the ball... And you point to where you've thrown it. Where does the dog, or the child that doesn't quite understand English yet, where do they look? At your finger. They don't look at the ball, what you've, or what you're pointing to. They look at your finger. They're looking to the sign. The sign that points to an object. The shepherds were given a sign, weren't they? It was a baby born in a feeding trough. Now, I'm pretty sure that the Bethlehem Health Service, that wasn't standard procedure, was it? For it to be a feeding trough where you'd place a newborn baby. This was unusual. And they'd be wrapped in cloth. This was the sign. But you know, I don't want us this Christmas to get fixated upon the sign. Upon the crib, the manger. I heard um, someone telling me that they were organizing a, um, a Christmas um, I can't remember what they called it, but basically a service where there were lots of cribs decorated. And isn't this wonderful, the cribs? And, and I thought, yeah, it is, it is wonderful. It will look lovely. But you know, I don't want people to miss the object in the sign. I don't want people to miss who this Jesus is. And as we go through kind of this next 20 minutes this morning, I'm going to reveal who this person is. Verse 11, we are looking at in this story that we have a saviour who is Christ the Lord. Three descriptions of this person. Who is this baby? Jesus. That is his name. That's how we know him. He's got three titles we're revealing here. 
He's Saviour, Christ and Lord. Nowhere else in the New Testament are these three titles of Jesus put together. And I think it's in these three words that we can understand why it is the shepherds respond how they do and how we as well can join with the shepherds in singing the song they sang. So first up, we've got a saviour. He is deliverer. He is rescuer. Why do the people need a saviour? Why do we need a saviour? Let me tell you a story. Um, when I was probably seven or eight years old, I was in North Wales. North Wales coast, beautiful sunny day. Can you picture it? You've got the, kind of the, the, the water lapping on the shore. You've got bl- blue skies, sun shining in the sky. It's not a dream. North Wales coast often happens. You've got boats sailing, canoes paddling. You've got inflatable toys and boats bobbing in the water. And you've got babies splashing and in the, in the shallows. And, and I'm there with my mum and dad, my sister who's about the same age as me, just a year or two younger. And then I've got a brother who's probably one or two, probably stuffing sand in his face, eating it. And suddenly, there is a calamity. Someone, there's commotion out in the water. There's something, someone's drowning. There's a child who's, who cannot swim, who is too far out of his depth. And it was a child who'd been on a massive green inflatable crocodile, has come off the crocodile in the depths of the water, and he is in danger. We're with family friends, and James, the oldest boy, I think he's probably 12 or 13, he spots it, and he runs, Baywatch style, from where we're sat into the water, except he's not wearing red shorts, so he's not holding a red can. I'm not quite sure what that does. But anyway, so he bombs it into the water, swims out to this child, and grabs him from in the water, and he pulls him back to the shore. Like, this James, he's my friend, he's like, he's a hero. Why is he a hero? Because if he brings the boy back to the beach, the child who would have died is coughing and spluttering. He comes to and he has been saved. He's been rescued. He's been delivered from death by my mate James. And, do you know, it's similar to us. I just tell the story because we are like that boy who has fallen off the inflatable green crocodile. The wrong we do, we commit against each other, against God Almighty, there is a punishment, and that punishment is death. It means we'll be separated from us. The Bible talks about it as sin. It's sin that means we are separated from God. And we can't look at the Christmas story without looking 33 years into the future. Jesus Christ, the baby, he's grown up. He's a man. He's lived a sinless life. And he dies on a cross. And the holy wrath of God that needs dealing with, because God is perfect. He cannot accept anything that is imperfect. The wrath of God is satisfied. As the sin of the world is upon Jesus, his son. And the Father in heaven turns his face away. And in that moment, sin is dealt with. In that moment, the death that is coming to us is dealt with. Three days later, Jesus comes back from the dead. He defeats death. What does this mean that Jesus is saviour? It means that the father knows the pain of losing a child. It means that death is defeated. It means that we are saved, delivered and rescued from death. It means that God doesn't hold our sin against us. Jesus takes on himself and in doing so enables us to be brought back to God. 
And it, do you know what it also means? It means there is a promise that it won't always be like this. With mourning and crying and pain and death. The last book in the Bible is called Revelation. It is a message given to a guy called John. And um, in chapter 21, right near the end of the book, right near, right at the back of the Bible, you have to, if you're reading cover to cover, it takes you a long time to get here. But when you do get here, it is amazing that he says, Jesus, he's speaking to John. He says, uh, he talks of Jesus, that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more, poor, uh, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. First point. Why do the shepherds go singing and praising? It's because they've met the Saviour. And on Christmas night, as he's lying in a feeding, crop, uh, feeding trough, they meet him. The Saviour has been born. Number two, Jesus is called Christ. Maybe if in your uh, translation of the Bible you have, it says Messiah. So the, both the Hebrew word Messiah and the Greek word Christ mean the same thing. They mean anointed one. They mean special one special one. If you're a fan of football, maybe your mind goes straight to the self-proclaimed special one of English football. His name? Jose Mourinho. He considers himself special and has a special talent for defeat, uh, defeating and conquering enemies. Enemies being opposition football teams. Jesus, he is the anointed one who promised by God to conquer life's greatest enemy. The enemy of death that would try and put us and God apart, separate. Jesus being born is the start, the fulfillment of a promise to bring us back to God. And perhaps making a sideways move now, we're going to look into a prophet, an Old Testament prophet called Micah and something he says centered around a promise. The Old Testament is full of promises of who the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord to come, who he is. And so there's a verse, and, and it may not make much sense to you. I'll try and explain it. It says, but you Bethlehem, I can't even say this word, Epaphra, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who rules over Israel whose origins are of old from ancient times. So 700 years before the birth of Christ, Micah, the prophet, is told by God to write this down. He's delivering this message to the people of Israel, who uh, the, most of the rest of the book is judgment. It's saying, you're like this, you shouldn't be. The judgment of God is coming. Sort yourselves out. And, but God has a plan, Micah says, to bring order, to bring justice, to bring peace and joy back to their lives. And today that includes us, the church. And remarkably, the promised anointed one, not Jose Mourinho, this is Jesus I'm talking about now, is born in none other than Bethlehem. Tiny little town. Christmas story is where Mary and Joseph go to. It's not their own town. Remember, they've traveled 93 miles. It's not Leicester. It's, it's Bethlehem. And at Bethlehem, it's been 700 years ago, it's said that the Savior will be born in Bethlehem tiny little backwater town. There's nothing special about it. They were expecting some conquering hero to come from the sky with armies and armies of angels. That's what the Jewish people were thinking, not someone 
coming to Bethlehem as a baby. The reason why they're there is because the emperor has called a census. He wants to tax the people. And you don't mess with what the emperor says. Augustus Caesar, he's emperor at the time, most powerful man in the world. He was in charge of the world's largest empire. But in this chapter, he barely gets a look in. In fact, by issuing a decree to essentially kind of get a load of money, the prophecy gets fulfilled that the Messiah, the ruler of Israel, would be born here. We've got two rulers in this story. We've got Augustus Caesar. He's mentioned at the start of chapter 2. Barely gets a look in. But he, he rules um, through the Pax Romana, bringing peace to Rome. He does it by making war. He rules by oppression. He rules by slaughtering and killing people. He's extending the borders of the Roman Empire and saying peace will come only if you submit to the rulers of the Roman Empire, to him. Or slaughter will come, but we'll have peace. And he is mighty. And he brings oppression. Second rule of Jesus. This is what Micah says of Jesus. He stands and he shepherds his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Jesus will be our peace. He will reconcile us to God, and the whole world will hear about it. Caesar extends peace through war. God says, I will get my peace through sending Jesus. What does it mean? It means God means what he says. It means that God keeps his promises. If God has said something to you, it, it means he keeps his promise. He will come through on his promises. And I know this morning that Jesus was promised to those that people of Israel, that we are now part of, the family of God, that Jesus will return, that Jesus has kind of gone to heaven and he is ruling and reigning there and one day he will return and we will be caught back up with his rule. Where do we need to know God keeps his promises in our life right now? The things that God has promised through his word to put our trust in it. Jesus is Saviour. Jesus is Christ. Thirdly, Jesus is Lord. Third title, he's King. He is Lord Almighty. He's control of all things. What do you think about when I say King? Any shout outs? What are the kinds of things you would expect from a King? Quiet this morning. A crown. This is a ruler. What else? Armies. He's powerful. What else? Wealth. Yeah, he has all things. Huge power. Do you know, I want a king who I can trust. I want a king who I can follow wholeheartedly. I want a king who will lead me into battle. I want a king who will protect and defend me. I want a king who identifies with me, who knows how I feel. I want a king who is present with me. And I have that king in Jesus. We have that king in Jesus. And the shepherds were told that the sign would be the manger. In the manger, the object is Jesus. Saviour, Christ and Lord. King. And it means for me that I give my life to him. I surrender everything to him. It means I am his. Everything I am belongs to him. And I try to obey him. And I don't try on my own, you know. 
A king who is present, who sends his spirit, his Holy Spirit, the third person of God, to, to make his home in me. And as the angels light up the sky and share this news with the shepherds, they mark an event in time that changes everything. The whole of history is altered. God becomes man. He becomes present in our world. And this is our history now. History has changed. From the start, we are from God. We are made in his image. We belong to God. We are known by God. We, that Jesus comes and he's present here on earth, born of a virgin, lives a perfect life. He asks us to put our trust in him. We say yes, makes his home amongst us. He empathizes with us, the stuff that's going on in our lives. He puts his Holy Spirit in us. He changes us. And he promises to return. We'll return to God. And at that point, he will wipe away every tear and welcome us and all things will be well. All things will be well. Right now, I'm clinging on to a God who saves. I'm clinging on to a God who's faithful, who keeps his promises. And I'm clinging on to a God who is in control of all things. Let me repeat what the angel says to the shepherds. Luke 2. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. What do the shepherds do? As I close, what do the shepherds do? Well, they've been told this and they hurry off without any worry. They go, we've got to go and see it. They hurry off to investigate. You may find yourself right now hearing about this Jesus. And it's for you, you are investigating. That is this who he really is? And I, I would say to you, look into him, and I think you'll find he is who he says he is. He is who the Bible says he is. And what comes as you accept him into your life is peace and joy and love and patience. And the second thing the shepherds do, the response of the shepherds, is to go out and tell people. They're amazed and they cannot help but share the message because they have just this, just this wonder and amazement of what's happened. And it leads to those people they share with being amazed at what's happened. And thirdly, the response to the shepherds is they return glorifying and praising God as they, as they encounter Jesus. There is joy there. Good news of great joy, the angel says. Good, they've seen the good news and they come back with great joy. What does it mean for us? Entire song of the shepherds, and I invite the band back up. The entire song of the shepherds is centered around a sign. A sign that points to a person. The person is Savior. The person is Christ. The person is Lord. And his name is Jesus. And I'm going to invite you, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you to, just as I pray, to, to consider what it means to you. And I'm going to invite you to receive Jesus. I'm going to invite you to uh, welcome him as we worship now together. This We've heard about the good news and it fills us with great joy. So will you stand to your feet? Thank you, Lord, that you came to earth at Christmas. I thank you that you're saviour, which means we can live free forever and free from death. Thank you that you are Christ, Messiah, 
that we can know God and his promises. We thank you, Lord, that we can receive peace this morning. And I thank you, Lord, that we can come to encounter you as our King, as Lord. And that gives us such great joy that you're in control of all things. So this morning we come to you, Lord Jesus. For people just knowing Jesus, not very much. Lord, I pray that you would be welcome here. That there would be hearts that would want to receive you. And for us to receive Jesus, we need to turn from our old ways. Turn from our sin. Ask for repentance and say sorry. And turn to Jesus and accept what he's done for us. So Lord, I pray you'd fill us with your spirit. You'd fill us with joy and peace and love as we worship now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.